I want to practice a martial art. What is best? I hear this question a lot. If you have little or no experience or knowledge of physical combat, it can be incredibly difficult to distinguish one thing from another between the big flashy moves of a Hollywood blockbuster or the seemingly foolproof techniques of a self-defense instructor. Things can get a bit confusing and it may become very difficult to really understand exactly what you're looking at. So today, we're going to lay the groundwork for what exactly martial arts are. We're going to talk about some of the main disciplines, what distinguishes them, and importantly, what constitutes a good martial art from a bad one. You're listening to The Martial Way. My name is Lewis. Thank you for joining me today. To begin, please allow me to give you a little bit of information about my own personal background. I always want to be as transparent as possible with you. Honesty is very important to me, and I will always try my best not to inflate or exaggerate any of my previous experience or accomplishments. I would like to share with you my own history so that you have some understanding of the angle I'm approaching this from, so that you understand my own bias while I am, of course, trying to remain as objective and impartial as possible. When I was a child, I practiced karate, specifically wadoryu. That was the beginning of it all for me. When I look back, I have a distant memory of winning the Best Newcomer and Student of the Year trophies the first couple of years I was practicing karate. I honestly did not expect either of those, and I think they may have actually been the first real accomplishments of my entire life. It was really good and I enjoyed it and I had a lot of fun, but eventually I stopped training because there wasn't as much sparring as I wanted. And then throughout my teenage years, I didn't practice anything physical at all. It would be very easy to say that I led a completely sedentary lifestyle during that time. It wasn't until I was 21 that I began practicing Muay Thai. At that point, I'd started driving and I had my own car. I wanted to get back into some kind of martial arts, so I did my research in all kinds of various styles and what was available in my area. At this point, the UFC was really taking off in the mainstream, and it seemed to me that everybody kept talking about Muay Thai and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Muay Thai itself is pretty infamous as arguably the most brutal competitive martial art around. There are very few sanctioned competitive martial arts in which knees and elbows to the head are legal, so things can get pretty vicious in a typical Muay Thai fight. Anyway, I found a local Muay Thai gym and I made my way there. I convinced a few friends to go with me at the start and began training, and I absolutely loved it. Shout out to St. Albans Muay Thai, now renamed Combat Gym St. Albans. It was a big part of my life. So the first few months, we were just going once a week, but quite quickly, I wanted to train more. So I started going twice a week and then sometimes three times a week. The lessons were two hours, but I would often turn up early, go for a run and then work the bag while others were arriving and warming up. I absolutely loved it. My Muay Thai club was based in a boxing gym and my instructor, crew Brian Boyle, had that kind of mix between the authentic Thai style and the Dutch style Muay Thai, which has a slightly heavier focus on hands. So while I was practicing Muay Thai, we often practiced a lot of straight up boxing techniques too. 
Then a year after I began training, I went with the club to practice in Thailand under the South Thai champion Ma'er on the island of Koh Samui. It was great. My gym went to the same place in Thailand once a year. And when I was there, there were three guys from my gym who were already there training and fighting professionally. So we had a very strong connection with the destination. I went out and I spent a week in Bangkok before spending a month in Koh Samui. And it was absolutely fantastic. Seriously, a life-changing experience. This was actually the first time I'd ever gone abroad without either my parents or school. So you can imagine it was a pretty big deal for me. Funny thing, actually, I took a different flight to Bangkok than my instructor and arrived there a couple of days before him. And I didn't even have a hotel booked. I just had a few hotels I'd researched online written down and I figured I'd check them out when I was there. So picture this pasty skinned tourist, wide eyed, all by himself in Bangkok, Thailand. Yeah, that was a learning experience. I'll tell you what, I've got some pretty spicy stories that you might find entertaining about that but let's save them for another time. Anyway, yeah, that was an incredible experience. In Koh Samui, we were training twice a day, six days a week. I went there foolishly in April, which is the hottest month of the year in Thailand. So we were always training at sunrise and sunset, which meant that we basically had the whole day to ourselves, which was great. Go chill on the beach, check out some waterfalls. It was a really good time. I swear though, in one month, I learned in Thailand what would have taken me the best part of a year in the West. It was crazy. A while after I came back from Thailand, I actually began teaching as a kind of assistant instructor at my own gym. It was a really busy club and we had quite a lot of members. And Brian often used me to help demonstrate the moves and combinations on the pads. Eventually, he entrusted me with more responsibility and I began kind of teaching myself. It wasn't paid, but I did train for free and that was perfect for me. Honestly, I feel like I owe a lot to Brian. Everything in my life now, working as a personal trainer, my experience in the military and in security, it all started with training at St. Albans Muay Thai. So yeah, I have very fond memories of that place. During my time training at St. Albans, I competed in three inter-club events. Now, these are not really super competitive fights. We wore shin guards and elbows were banned and there weren't any judges. So unless you knock the other guy out, there isn't really a clear winner. But I learned a lot from these competitions and I really wish I'd done more of them. I really want to get back into competitive training soon and compete again before I get too old. But that's another conversation entirely. In 2015, I moved up north to Manchester and practiced Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for one year. I picked it up very quickly and I did really well with that. I was quite proud of myself. When I first started, the other guys at the gym kept asking me how long I've been training BJJ for. They were all really surprised when I told them that I had no grappling experience. Shout out to Voodoo Gym Macclesfield. I competed once in a tournament while I was there. I won myself a little bronze medal in the white belt category. Again, something I'm very eager to get back into training full time. While I was living up near Manchester, I also got myself qualified and registered as a door supervisor. So on the weekend, I began bouncing doors at bars and clubs. I worked a few festivals too. So I do have some practical hands-on experience with engaging people physically in some pretty exciting situations. I learned a lot from working the door and I will dedicate an entire podcast episode in the future to my experience. 
I'll tell you some of the fight stories and some of the lessons I learned. I'm really glad I did it because it taught me a lot. So keep an eye out for that one in the future. When I was living down south, I was also an infantry reservist in the British Army for three years. But let me tell you, contrary to what some people may think, being a soldier has pretty much zero bearing on your ability to fight. Having military experience may mean you have a certain level of fitness and your mental resolve may be a little tougher than the average civilian. But they do not really teach you any physical combat skills in the army, at least not in the British army. I know in the Paris there's milling, but that's basically elite soldiers. That's a different story. The closest thing I ever had was bayonet training. But if you're a soldier and you have to use your bayonet, something has gone terribly, terribly wrong. So yeah, that's my story. Right, now that you're familiar with my background, let's start talking about martial arts. A good place to start when discussing martial arts is to consider two main categories of physical combat, striking and grappling. Most martial arts can be categorized as either a striking or grappling art. Of course, there are many forms which contain aspects of both and some which are entirely impossible to clearly define as either one or the other. But still, this is an important distinction to be aware of and to consider. Generally speaking, striking arts mostly involve punching and kicking, maybe with some knees and elbows thrown in. With this, we can think about boxing, kickboxing, karate, muay thai, taekwondo. These type of arts where you're mainly trying to beat your opponent into submission or to knock him out. Then we have grappling. Here we can talk about wrestling, judo, sambo, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, to name but a few. These arts focus more on throwing your opponent and dominating them on the ground through superior positioning, joint locks, and chokes. So which is better, striking or grappling? Okay, what I want you to do for a moment is to stop thinking about trying to identify an objectively superior art. Some of these disciplines do have strengths and advantages over others, and that is something I will talk about more in a moment. But I really want to dissuade anyone from choosing their own discipline based on an idea that it will defeat all others and prove to be the greatest and strongest of them all. It doesn't exactly work like that. And in most circumstances, the individual fighter determines the outcome of any physical altercation rather than the form they have chosen to practice. If you look at international competition between various arts, there have been very successful world champions who have come from a background in both striking and grappling. And over the years, it seems to swing quite consistently back and forth between the two. And outside of sanctioned competition, in a real-life self-defense situation, both forms have serious strengths and weaknesses that need to be considered. In a one-on-one -on -one altercation, grappling arts have been proven to be very formidable and a reasonably dependable method of defending yourself. You often hear wrestlers and BJJ practitioners talk about how 90% of fights end up on the ground, which may be true, but you also need to remember that all fights begin standing up and anyone can be put away with a one well-placed punch. As I have already explained, the majority of my own combative training has been in striking arts. However, when I was working in security, I never had to throw a single punch. There were, however, many instances in which I had to grapple with people, either standing or on the ground. 
It's much safer and a more proportionate response to simply hold someone in a position they are unable to escape from rather than escalate things to striking and a greater level of violence. So professionally, I have used grappling much more in real world scenarios. Also, it's worth mentioning for women who are generally smaller and weaker than their male counterparts, a punch from an average girl is almost certainly not going to stop a larger, heavier male, even if it's landed perfectly. Whereas certain grappling arts like judo, wrestling, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, they go a lot further in leveling the playing field in terms of differences in size and weight, where it is a lot more feasible for the smaller, lighter combatant to overcome a larger, heavier opponent. But then on the other hand, a moment ago, I said that grappling arts have proven themselves formidable in one-on-one altercations, which is absolutely true. And if you're a woman looking to defend herself from that lone attacker at night, then that's perfect. But if you're in a situation in which you face potentially more than one opponent, these grappling arts can be a little bit terrible sometimes. Let me tell you, working in security, very rarely do you meet a troublemaker who's completely alone. Now, if you get into a fight with one of these guys, you throw him down and start grappling with him on the floor, there's absolutely nothing stopping one of his buddies from coming up and kicking you straight in the head like he's got a free kick in football. So in this case, it would be much more practical to employ striking arts to keep it standing, to maintain mobility and keep potential threats outside of arm's reach as much as possible. Honestly, personally, even though I said that in my experience I've used grappling a lot more than striking in real-world situations, when it comes to self-defense, I do absolutely everything I can to keep it from going to the ground. It's just far too dangerous. So as you can see, I keep going back and forth between striking and grappling. Neither one is particularly superior to the other. So if you really want to know how to defend yourself, you should really have at least a fundamental understanding of both. If you look at mixed martial arts, which has done a really fantastic job of providing a level playing field for various martial arts to test themselves against other disciplines, if you look back at the early events in the UFC, you see boxers going up against judoka and wrestlers facing off against kickboxers. As these separate styles faced off against each other, it became very clear very quickly that a more comprehensive understanding of combat was required from everyone. Grapplers who wanted to take the fight to the ground realized that if they couldn't get a hold of their opponent, they'd get outboxed and punched into oblivion. So they began to learn how to throw a punch, head movement, footwork, how to stand up with their opponent. And at the same time, strikers saw the incredible danger of letting a grappler get a hold of them. They knew that if their opponent could grab onto them and, God forbid, actually throw them to the ground, they were absolutely doomed. Like a fish out of water, they would get swamped by the superior grappler. So what do you think these boxers and kickboxers learned to do? They began wrestling. They learned how to stuff a takedown and how to stay on their feet. Now, I'm not saying that you need to go out and learn every discipline there is. There is absolutely a huge value to developing depth in your training and sticking with the same practice for several years. 
I would definitely recommend having a specialty. All I'm trying to do here is convey to you how one style is not necessarily superior to any other style in regards to striking and grappling. It's a game of rock, paper, scissors, and despite what a lot of armchair experts will tell you, you can never clearly determine the outcome of an engagement based purely on the discipline a fighter employs. As I have mentioned the UFC and competitive martial arts, now is a good time to talk about the value of sparring. Within the world of martial arts, combat sports, self-defense systems, whatever terminology you wish to use for the practice of physical combat, there are various martial arts which incorporate sparring more or less into their practice. I have encountered many martial arts and many martial artists who do not practice any sparring whatsoever. Sometimes they even go as far as to justify this by stating that their particular discipline is so deadly that they cannot practice it on another person because it's far too dangerous and they could risk killing their partner. This is some fantasy roleplay nonsense. These are often the exact same people who deride competitive mixed martial arts, dismissing them as simply sports, as not realistic in real-world application. More often than not, these people are absolutely full of shit. Listen, if you don't incorporate live sparring into your practice, you have absolutely no idea if what you are practicing works. And you have absolutely no practical experience of applying what you know under pressure against a live opponent. This kind of stress testing is absolutely vital in preparing yourself for real-world conflict. You need to experience what it is like to have someone attacking you with the intent to cause harm. Now, I'm not saying that you need to strap yourself up and get the shit beaten out of you by one of your friends. You can spar entirely within safe parameters, but what you do need is someone attacking you with more or less complete freedom to give you that unpredictable element of danger. This is where some people say, well, my martial art uses groin strikes and eye pokes. You can't practice that safely inspiring. Listen, if your entire self-defense system revolves around groin strikes and eye pokes, you must be practicing some women's self-defense down at the mall or something. And I promise you that your whole routine is going to fall to pieces as soon as you get punched in the face for the first time ever. The prime example of this shortcoming is Aikido. Now, I know that I said before that generally speaking, one martial art isn't objectively superior to another, but having said that, there is some real bullshit getting taught out there, and Aikido is kind of a running joke in the martial arts world. I think the problem with Aikido is that it focuses on a lot of small joint manipulation, techniques that would be almost impossible to pull off in a real fight. Forms of grappling like judo and wrestling use large, gross movements to manipulate your opponent. These large movements, which focus on big joints like the hips, the knees, and the shoulder, allow a much larger room for error, as your opponent is obviously struggling against you. If you can upset their center of gravity at the hips or take their legs out from underneath them, you have a much greater chance of taking control of them and influencing their movement. But what you have in Aikido is a lot of fine techniques and small joint manipulation. 
That is to say, rather than manipulating someone's shoulder, you try to grab their hand and twist their wrist or even their individual fingers. This looks great when you practice it with a compliant and willing partner. And when you start to get a little smoother and more fluid with it, it can look very impressive and flashy. But that's practicing it with a compliant partner. Someone who is moving with you, allowing you to execute the technique. It's essentially choreographed dancing. This type of training very often gives people an absolutely false and unrealistic perception of their own ability and what they are capable of. This kind of delusion is no joke. In a real fight in which someone is genuinely trying to hurt you, it could get you seriously hurt or worse. You try and pull that technique off against some drunk arsehole swinging fists at you, I guarantee it will not work. And don't take my word for it. Go on YouTube, look up Aikido versus MMA or Aikido versus boxing or Aikido versus literally anything. As soon as you apply some pressure to these techniques, they do not work. If you want to defend yourself competently and have confidence in the discipline you practice, you must practice sparring with a live opponent. This is a mandatory requirement. I cannot stress this enough. If you're thinking, well, I'm not that serious about learning how to fight. I just want a fun way to get fit and in shape. In that case, this entire conversation is pointless. You may as well be practicing Zumba or step aerobics for all the combative experience it'll give you. But then, you know, all that having been said, I don't want to completely dismiss Aikido as a complete waste of time. In regards of discipline and the more philosophical and spiritual aspects of martial arts, Aikido is actually pretty good. So again, having said all that, having pushed the importance of live practice, it is also possible to go too far into competition I think the perfect example for this is Taekwondo. Taekwondo was originally developed within the South Korean military after World War II. So it has a very respectable heritage as a martial art developed with efficiency and real world applicability in mind. However, somewhere along the way, this completely lost its direction. It probably didn't help being included as an Olympic sport. Within competitive Taekwondo, it's not like boxing or Muay Thai where points are scored for damage inflicted or clear physical domination of your opponent. No. Within Taekwondo, you can score points by simply touching your opponent. It doesn't matter how hard you touch your opponent. When they fight... They wear body shields and headguards, and if you can so much as graze your opponent with your toe, congratulations, you score a point. And this isn't an exaggeration. Watch the Olympics. You can see judges and referees examining slow motion replays to determine whether one competitor's toe did in fact tickle their opponent. What this means is that rather than becoming a martial art in which you train and practice techniques which allow you to physically overpower and control an opponent basically becomes a game of tag. That's all you're doing, just playing a little touchy game of slaps. It may look like a martial art, but again, in a real world situation, your opponent isn't trying to slap you. They're trying to put their fist through your face and steal your soul. So as we can see, in the same way that a lack of competition will leave us unprepared for an engagement with a live opponent, 
an excessive focus on competition can very easily distract us from the original purpose of our training. This is why competitive mixed martial arts or MMA is so fantastic, because it has struck that perfect middle ground. Yes, MMA has rules, but these rules exist for entirely necessitous reasons to stop fighters and competitors from sustaining long-term damage. Many years ago, I used to work with a guy who shit all over MMA. He was boasting about how if he was to fight competitively, he'd do it with no rules. So I said to him, okay, let's fight. No rules, just like you said. But let me tell you right now what I'm going to do. If we fight with no rules, I'm going to tackle you to the ground and the first available opportunity, I'm going to bite your fingers off and gouge out your eyes. So now you're blind and deformed for the rest of your life. I win the fight and now you're never going to practice anything ever again. Was that worth it? Is that practical? No, obviously not. That would never work. So yes, of course, MMA has rules. Of course it has rules. But it has the most basic, minimal rules to go as far as possible to prevent fighters and competitors from sustaining any unnecessary permanent damage while also allowing the greatest possible freedom. You want to grapple? You can. You want to strike? You can. You want to throw someone to the floor and strangle them? Go for it. You want to elbow someone in the face, knee them in the head? Not a problem. This freedom of technique allows pretty much all martial arts developed and practiced across the world to test themselves against each other. A real testing ground to see what does and does not work. And look at the results. In the last 30 years, the proficiency of global martial arts has experienced such incredible growth the likes of which has never been seen before in such an unbelievably short period. Don't forget, even as recently as back in the 50s, the 60s and the 70s, martial arts were still completely divided across the world. There was a huge distinction between a boxer and a wrestler, a karate guy and a Wing Chun expert. And there was a lot of big talk and debate about which style was superior. Obviously, all the top-level guys all claimed that their art was the best, that they held the key. But as no one ever really tested themselves between discipline, that's all it ever was, just big talk and hot air. There were a few rare, isolated incidents of famous bouts between separate martial arts in the 20th century, like the notorious match between Muhammad Ali and Antonio Inoki, world champion boxer versus Japanese professional wrestler. But this fight was kind of poorly organized and ended up being a bit of a farce. But at least it got the idea in people's heads and it got people considering it. When people call MMA just a sport, what you need to keep in mind is that it is only a sport if you hold competition as the end goal, as the highest expression of the art. But to me, it is not. Not at all. Competition is only the next step up from sparring. It's just heavy sparring with an opponent holding himself back a little bit less. I always say, shadow boxing prepares you for hitting the pads. Hitting the pads prepares you for sparring. Sparring prepares you for competition. Competition prepares you for real world application. Short of actually going out and looking for a real fight, which I don't recommend anyone does, there is no greater preparation for real-life combat than in competitive mixed martial arts. So what about MMA? 
What about disciplines which specifically attempt to cover all or at least as many bases as possible? Well, if you live near an MMA gym, chances are that they'll have several different classes, usually something like boxing, Muay Thai or kickboxing in regards to striking, and then Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or wrestling in regards to grappling, dependent on what kind of coaches and instructors work there. Then they will also probably have an MMA class. In an MMA class, they'll basically teach you a little bit of everything. They'll teach you how to throw a punch, how to take someone down, how to stop someone else taking you down, how to wrestle, how to stand back up. And that's all great, that's fantastic, but it does slightly run the risk of watering things down a little bit too much for a beginner. I would personally recommend you focus on a single discipline for at least six months to learn the absolute basics before you start something completely different. Ideally, I'd really recommend a year or two to develop some real proficiency before you branch out too much, but that's your decision to make. There are also self-defense disciplines like Sistema and Krav Maga, which try to cover everything and also involve things like knife defense and the use of improvised weapons and things like that. I've never tried Sistema, but I did do a little Krav Maga, and to be honest, a lot of it was just Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu, with a few groin strikes thrown in the mix. With these self-defense arts, I think it really depends on the instructor, because these kind of styles often seem to attract real tough guy guru wannabes who kind of like to act like they're running their own kind of private military company. Not always. As I said, it depends on the instructor. From what I've seen and what I understand, the styles themselves are pretty legit, real practical and useful techniques. Just be a little bit wary of the teachers. There's a few hotheads around there who like to develop their own cult of personality. but then that can be said for pretty much anything. Due to this incredible proliferation of martial arts over the last couple of decades, if you live in a reasonably populated area, you've probably got pretty good chances that you'll have at least a few good schools near you to practice all sorts of things. So have a look, see what's available, and feel free to go visit a few places to observe their classes and training sessions. Any decent gym will allow you to observe for free, to just have a look if you're interested. So what is my recommendation? Well, first of all, you really need to ask yourself, what is my purpose in practicing martial arts? You need to be very honest with yourself when you answer this question. If you are only interested in a fun way to exercise and keep fit, then you can practice whatever you want so long as the training is hard. You need to see people out of breath, sweaty and working hard. If the gym or dojo is full of out of shape people who end their training sessions without a drop of sweat on them, it's not good exercise. If you want to learn how to defend yourself, you need to practice something that incorporates some degree of sparring, some kind of real pressure testing against a live opponent who's free to do anything and truly test your response. Don't worry though, you don't have to start sparring until you're ready. That can be months down the line. But if you really want to learn how to defend yourself, you will need to get involved eventually. If you just want to practice martial arts for the artistic side of it, for the community, the discipline, the fun, then feel free to do whatever you want. 
But regardless of your goals and aspirations, what I'd recommend to everybody is to pick something you enjoy. Seriously, only do something if it looks fun to you, because if you don't enjoy it, you won't keep coming back. Every martial art is so unique. The vastly differing backgrounds between tough and gritty Western-style boxing or the expressive dance and music of Brazilian capoeira, the uniform and rigid discipline of Japanese karate, or the soft and gentle flow of Chinese Tai Chi. Culturally, technically, aesthetically, each art is so separate that they each attract completely different people and thus develop entirely different communities around them. Seriously, from one gym to another, you will encounter a whole different world of experiences. So I encourage you again, do your research, have a look at what's available and try some different options. And I hope that as you look around, you'll find the right place that feels comfortable for you and fits your needs. Honestly, just try different things, find out what's good for you and hopefully you'll find something that just clicks. Having said all that, Having tried to remain as impartial and objective as possible, if you still want to know my specific recommendations, my own personal preferences, I'd tell you that for striking, I recommend boxing and Muay Thai. And for grappling, I'd say have a look at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, wrestling and Judo. It's hard to go wrong with any of those. Also, special shout out to Kyokushin Karate. All right, that's it. Thank you very much for your time. You know, when it when it comes to talking about martial arts in such general terms, I mean, Jesus, we could stand, we could sit here all day and talk about it. You know, it's 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 oh god, it's, it's never ending. But you know, what I really wanted to do is give you some thoughts and some ideas, and you know, something for you to think about if you are new to martial arts, and something for you to consider to find what's right for you. Because there's a lot of people that that kind of, you know, I think a lot of people get involved in martial arts and they kind of give up on it and they, they get kind of dissuaded from it. Not because it's not for them, but they just chose something specifically that wasn't really suited for them. So, you know, if we can if we can all just choose something that's really fits our objectives and and really gives us what we actually need and not what we think we need, then yeah, I think, you know, people will find a lot more a lot more benefit out of it and a lot more joy and satisfaction and fulfillment out of it. So, yeah, anyway, thank you very much. And thank you very much to everybody that's been connecting with me on Twitter. Yeah, I've been having such an amazing time on there recently. Originally, I only joined Twitter just to promote my podcast, but I've been having such an amazing time on there. Thank you so much for connecting with me, everybody. I've got such amazing feedback. It's been really great. And I've really like committed myself to Twitter a lot more. So thank you again for listening. Please hit me up on Twitter, send me a message, share the podcast. I'm not I'm not monetizing this. I've got no no adverts, no nothing. You know, I'm doing this for free. So if you want to help me, please share it, make a comment, something like that. You know, if we can reach a bigger audience, then you know that'll really make this a lot more worthwhile for me. So again, thank you so much. I really want to hear your thoughts, especially if you disagree with me. Let me know why. Tell me. You know, let you know, and then I can learn as well. So, yeah, please hit me up. Let me know what you think. And next week, I will be talking about 
Judgment Day. I'm serious. I'm not. I'm not going to get religious on you. Don't worry. But next week we're going to be talking about Judgment Day, something a little bit different. So it's a, a short and sweet. Don't worry. So I'll see you next week. And until then, those on the way become the way. Take care. All the best. <laughs>